When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we've got a lot to get to. We've got a lot of football to discuss. We've got a little bit of news to start. We'll actually answer a listener question after that, and then we'll get into our camp observations from Saturday. Uh, Matt was, of course, there in person. I, unfortunately, was not able to make it, but we had some takeaways that we can get from that. Then we'll run through the depth chart on the offensive side of the ball as of today. Now that the official camp is now uh, wrapped up, uh, that was the last open media session on Saturday, so it should be a good time to talk about what the depth chart is looking like right now. And then to round things out, we've got some fun offensive stat predictions, some over-unders. I think it'll be a fun kind of hypotheticals to lead you guys into the season. We'll do the same thing. Um, as we do in this part um, in terms of depth chart and stat predictions on the, our next show with the defensive side of the ball. So a lot of football to get to, a lot of stuff to touch on, but it's getting to be that busy time of year. College football season is right around the corner, of course, kicking off this Saturday with Nebraska and Illinois and the Big Ten and a few other games. So week zero is uh, almost here. And next thing you know, we'll all be in Camp Randall, State watching Wisconsin and Penn State. So it should be a lot of fun. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great, yeah. Like, we were talking about it just off-air, texting back and forth, and it is crazy to think that in, you know, just three episodes from now, we're going to be, this one included, we're going to be looking at a Penn State preview. So, lots lots to get to because a lot has been going on here with Wisconsin football camp, but I'm doing great because I know it means we're getting closer and closer to college football. How you doing, dude? Yeah, uh, I, it's it's great. It, it really did kind of sneak up. It felt like such a long off season, but all of a sudden the last month has, has really flown by, and you can really start to get excited for football. And every, every, there's a lot of episodes where we were working through this, and it felt uh, like we were you know, ways away from finally starting up. And next thing you know, it's it's a few episodes away. We'll be we'll be touching with uh, uh, Penn State preview, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm certainly excited. But with a big pack show, why don't we hop right into the news, and we'll, we'll probably rapid fire through this because through this, we've got a lot to get to, as we mentioned. Um, first up, Graham Mertz added the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm watch list. I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know this was an award that they give out, but it's good to be a part of it. I know these watch lists that we touch on um, sometimes have a lot of players, and, and that can be one thing. Um, where it's not much to take from it, but again, it's better to be on there than not on there. So what do you make of, of that and another watch list for Graham Mertz? I want to see it on the field. I want to see him play well. Um, I think watch lists are great and everything um, for notoriety, just getting your name out there, positive pub, but really it's just going to come down to how he looks against Penn State, and, and really none of this will matter when it comes to that. 
I, I, I'm just going to say ditto because I think that's the exact same thing. I think we're past watch list season at this point where it's just like, okay, we, we've seen enough of the list. Let's go see it on the field, and hopefully uh, Graham Mertz can take it to the level and prove that he was uh, supposed to be part of these various lists that he's been named of. All right, next piece of news. The Big Ten finally gave us some clarity on what they will proceed with for policy if COVID-19, um, if there is a game or cancellation. A little bit different, a little bit interesting, because you've got um, if neither team is able to participate because of COVID, you have it declared a no contest. If one team is not available to play because of COVID, it is considered a loss to that team and would be a win for the other teams. So some conferences have kind of dragged their heels on what they're going to do. Um, we finally got some understanding from the Big Ten. Not all that surprising. I think this is probably the policy that makes the most sense. But what did you think of that, that we finally got some news on how the Big Ten will handle this? Yeah, it seems to be in, in lockstep with most of the other teams across the country. Uh, the Power Five seems to be kind of going with this policy. I think it makes a ton of sense, especially when you look at the fact that everybody is really trying to get some of the money back, get some of the games back that they missed out on last year. I think that this, it makes sense. I think hopefully uh, everything goes, you know, on without a hitch, but we'll, we'll see. It's it's going to be another wild and crazy year. College football is always a crazy thing, regardless of when you have, um, you know, the remnants of a pandemic going on. So I, I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. You hope that, you know, you've got your team above that threshold and are, are not having to worry about this, but this is something that they've got to have a policy in place. Um, I, I think for teams that maybe are struggling to get to, I know there's a various couple across the country, that's going to be a little bit nerve-wracking because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have position group wiped out uh, because of COVID, but at the same time, you know, there's been opportunities. Everyone, of course, has their opinion, and if you are below that threshold and, and it costs you a game, that's going to be a, a devastating moment to realize but again you can't have these cancel you can't have what you had last year with cancellations and, and moving games around everyone was in the same boat and, and banded together last year but this year uh, it's going to be a little bit different it's going to be interesting to see how that might play out as we move forward but good that the, the the big 10 after a long delay of kind of wondering and you of course expect them to handle it this way but certainly something that we were waiting for and that clarity is is going to be nice to have as we move forward here 100 percent all right, let's hop into the next piece of news. Wisconsin football threw out an offer to four-star safety Marvin Burks out of St. Louis. He's got a ton of other offers from uh, you know schools like Arkansas, Florida, Mizzou, Vandy, some SEC schools, of course, there, um, a couple others. So quality player um, in that Midwest area, kind of you know in out of St. Louis, uh, an area that can certainly get recruited hard by both the Big Ten and the SEC. So what do you make of that offer for the Badgers? I like it. Wisconsin used to have a very big footprint in that St. Louis area. Uh, they haven't the, the past few seasons. Um, I know that Illinois is going to make that a priority going forward. That was something Bielema did when he was with the Badgers. So I think this is an offer you need to send out. You go after some of the top players that are in your area, and, and St. Louis is definitely one of those areas. So I, I like the offer. He's a really talented kid, and, and now it's just going to be – can you get him on campus for a game? Can you get you know a bunch of these guys on campus for a game? I know that Penn State game, the the visitor list is growing as we speak. Yeah, I think you got to keep you know plugging away at some of these big name players. I mean, these are the ones that you know four star kid, a uh, defensive back. Wisconsin's done really well at that position, but these are the guys that these are the battles that you want to win. You're going up against teams that you certainly could win, but you also, you know, there's a lot of good schools in there and that's an area that is recruited by a lot of different player or places 
and different schools. It's going to be interesting to see how Wisconsin fares in a, in a battle like that. But at the same time, like you said, you've got to throw these offers out. These aren't the kids that um, you don't want to take your shot and, and take your chance because if you land it, it could be a, certainly a special player. And it would be good for Wisconsin to kind of get that footprint back in that area. It's, uh, you know, like I said, highly contested with a lot of different schools, but I think it's something Wisconsin in the past has done really well in, and hopefully they can uh, start to make that footprint grow a, a little bit more once again. All right, our final piece of news, Miles Burkett at a big game this past weekend, of course, 2022 quarterback commit. Hail Mary to win the game, which if you haven't seen the video, go out and check it out because Franklin um, scored with you know four or five seconds left on the clock to win uh, the game 35-31. Quite a throw, and uh, you can definitely see the arm strength from Miles Burkett in that one. What did you make of uh, a big game from him and a really an exciting play to open the high school season? Yeah, that's that's a very very cool way to end that that game. I mean, that was a pretty good contest between Franklin and Appleton North. Uh, I, you know, you look at his just game overall. They were down a few scores there, and he came back to to win it. And, and really, it was behind his arm, over 360 yards passing, uh, five touchdowns. I mean, that's the type of game that you you were hoping to see from him coming out. Um, because I know a lot of people have have doubted you know him in terms of being a prospect, but but I think if he can continue to stack up these big games, I, I definitely think that'll increase his his uh, recruiting ranking and whatnot. And and I do think that that um, is a positive indicator for what he could bring to the Badgers um, moving forward. So you know, congrats to him and, and his Franklin teammates. But that was a very cool way to end that game. That was a, a wild finish. Yeah, it really was. It, it makes high school football so exciting that you get to see a player like that. Um, you know, a future Badger making big plays, and that's that's quite the way to end it. I know, like you mentioned, there's been a lot of doubters uh, for, for a player like him, but it's good that hopefully he can finish his high school career on a high note and then uh, hopefully maybe silence some doubters that there's that there's been um, with that recruiting class and with him because I know there's a lot of other names that people get excited about, but I think Miles Burkett might be a guy that surprises some people and will certainly – um, you know, be a, a quality player for the Badgers that you can look forward to seeing. But uh, fun, interesting highlight, and, and quite the throw. I mean, really, you got to give a lot of credit to him and, and the entire Franklin team for making that one happen because that's uh, about as fun as a way you can start the high school football season. All right, yeah, that was a rope. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just to say that was a rope. Like he, it was, it was a really <laughs> good throw. Yeah, it was. It was. There's no, there's no doubts. You know. He's somewhat of a smaller guy. He's definitely got that arm strength for sure, and it was on full display in that toss. All right, up next, we've got a listener question, actually, that we're going to go to. Um, Thoughts on why the Badgers haven't offered any in-state kids in the class of 2023 yet? And and that's really an interesting uh, question when you talk about, you know, there's still a lot of focus on the 2022 group, but the 2023 group is going to quickly move into that focal point here soon. Um, we've seen the way the recruiting has taken off and, and some offers are starting to fly out already. So what do you make uh, of that hypothetical? It's something I hadn't really thought about, but, uh, of course, the listener brings up a, a great point that it is something you want to keep these kids in state and there hasn't been a, a much traction going so far there. Yeah, I think it all goes back to just how disjointed everything was last year um, because of the pandemic. You had some kids playing in the fall, um, some kids playing in the spring, kids, some kids not playing at all, right? And so it's hard to gauge just on film, guys. Like we saw Braylon Allen go, you know, 
crazy in in the spring, but you you had a good chunk of players that just didn't play in the spring um, as well, or they were playing a different sport because they were focusing elsewhere. So I think that's part of it is just that there wasn't as much film for players out there. But also you look at it. I'm looking back in like 2019. You know, Joe Brunner, Joe Brunner, a guy who's who's committed to the Badgers, four-star offensive tackle. He was one of the first offers that the Badgers threw out in that 2023 group that was in-state. And and that was in the fall of his sophomore year where they got him on campus early, got to see his physical physical, stature in person, which is an important thing for um, a staff. You want to be able to see these guys in person. And and that's when they gave the offer was was when he came for a visit. And they didn't have – visits last year they didn't and you pair that with the fact that they um weren't able to get to as many camps with a lot of these guys um and there's not as much film and and I think they're going to see take a wait and see approach I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be a a bunch of offers that kind of um flow out early here after the first couple weeks I'm sure they've had conversations with many in-state kids about, hey, we're, we're interested in you. We want to see the first three games, right? Like they want to see the first couple games uh, of their junior year because this is just their junior year. This isn't like they're they're going to be upcoming seniors or anything. It's still a ways away before these guys are going to be making decisions. So I think that's what's going to happen is there's going to be some offers that are going to be sprinkled out over the next few weeks as high schools um you know, and players are, are able to throw those huddle tapes together and put it out. And and really, I, I wouldn't worry about it right now. Um, I think the Badgers are just fine. They're putting out offers to those top kids that you know that you've got the, the verified measurables from camps. You've got all, you know, four and five-star prospects. You don't see a lot of under-the-radar offers going out yet because – Guys are waiting for that that uh, that footage, the film, because most of the times that's what they're going to rely upon, and, and really that's going to be an important uh, benchmark for when the staff's putting out these offers. Yeah, just in, you know, just in turn with um, you know players making a decision, it's it's also a, a program has to make a decision to throw out these offers, and if you don't feel you know, I'm sure they feel comfortable with a lot of offers they made, but you also want to be able to evaluate and, and see the things that. Maybe you've only seen on tape. You want to see it with your actual eyes to to make sure that's a you know that's a commitment that they want to make as well as the player may eventually want to make down the road. So I think that makes a, a ton of sense. I totally agree with everything you said there. It's it's a time where you, you're finally getting back to be able to see some of these games. You you had the weird year last year of spring and and fall playing. Some guys didn't play. It was just a, a whole mess. So. I would imagine that Wisconsin certainly had conversations, and and once they kind of get through and see some, you know, in person or, or your live stats from you know recently, not trying to work through tape from from years ago or things like that, um, I think you could certainly see some offers going out, and Wisconsin can can finally check some boxes. So I wouldn't cause or I wouldn't hit the panic button quite yet. I think there's still, like you mentioned, a long ways to go for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and it'll happen. It, it will happen. But I can tell you right now that the staff isn't going to be throwing out offers to kids based off of JV film, right? Like they're going to mm-hmm. be waiting until these kids are just getting into their junior year now. And really, most of them haven't even started junior year of classes. So there's plenty of time. But but I, I do understand because usually they have offers out um, by this point, at least to one or two of the studs. But, I mean, if you go on you know, Rivals and 247 who are – you know, I would say the two main recruiting services out there, they don't even have rankings for the states yet. 
out, which which usually happens by now too. So everything's just a little bit slower with this group. I think this is the group that um, things things are a little bit slower because of everything that happened last year. I think most of the kids who are getting in offers in the 2022 group weren't as affected because they were able to to have some some film from the year prior and were able to do some camps and whatnot. Once again, you know, you've got a, a ton of ripple effect from everything that's gone on over the last 18 months, and we're, we're still going to continue to feel that in a lot of different ways. All right, let's hop into some camp news from this past weekend. Like I mentioned, Matt was able to get there in person to see um, practice once again, the final practice open to the media. So it's a good way to kind of, you know, I'm sure they're still working on a lot of the same stuff, but now the camp is officially kind of closed with Saturday afternoon. Um, what did you take overall? I guess we can start with the offense. Why don't we go ahead? I know they had a rough time when we were there the past Saturday, but it sounds like the offense had a much better day this past weekend. So what did you uh, take from that side of the football? Yeah, I think the big thing was starting off Danny Davis at practice did not practice though, right? Like that's your number one wide receiver. That's not what you want. Um, but he was around, they were blaring music, um, he was he was helping out in drills, riding on a stationary bike and whatnot. So I'm it's a head injury, um, but it must not be serious enough to where they can't be blaring music around him. Um, you know, and I don't want to you know guess what it is, but I know he had um, concussion issues last year. Um, offensive line, Logan Bruss was back. I thought that was huge, but but Tyler Beach is still working his way back. Um, overall, though, I thought the offense looked a hell of a lot better than it did when we saw them, and that's just a, a week over. Um, and, and part of that could be the fact that, I mean, they were doing half-pack. They didn't have pants on the lower body going on, which didn't stop them from, from doing some live tackling. But I thought Graham Mertz looked much much better. He looked much more poised. Um, outside of, like, a, an overthrow, he really was was kind of on point for most of the day, and which – you know, it's once again, it's practice. It's one practice. It's hard to take a lot from that, especially against defenders who have gone against the same routes over and over and over again. But um, I actually think the biggest thing that jumped out me for the offense was the running game. Um, when we were both there, I, I, I think you could have counted the, the number of like solid runs that made it past like the 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 dust in the middle where the where the offensive line and defensive line are, are interacting. Um, on your fingers, and there was multiple runs that kind of popped. I thought Berger, Lucy, Garendo all had flashes. I think that's going to be your top three. Julius Davis had a nice run, so I thought that was a positive, and I think it goes along with the offensive line. Joe Titman's still working at center with the starters, so I think that's kind of a a done deal almost at this point, unless Caden Lyles makes a huge push. Cormac Sampson at left tackle. Um, But those were the main things. On the offense, the only other thing that really jumped out to me outside of Devin Chandler making a really nice acrobatic catch was was just how much work Marcus Allen, the wide receiver, got. Um, I, I think, look, you know, looking back a week ago, do you remember seeing a lot of Marcus Allen in team drills? Because on Saturday he was he was out there with the ones and twos rotating in frequently. Now that Danny Davis wasn't in, involved. No, I think that first Saturday he he looked really good in drills from what we saw, but he wasn't really getting a ton of reps with uh, with the one. So that's certainly a welcome sign. It clearly seems like he you know he's had had good had good showings in drills and is, is hopefully getting some reps. And it sounds like will be a guy that is, is certainly part of that wide receiver rotation, which is exciting. Um, but also raises maybe some question marks for some of the older guys if if they're getting passed up. But 
you know, there's no doubt that, that the offense is going to have the best guys on the field, and if Marcus Allen's one of them, he's going to be in that rotation. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say that he's going to, like, based off of what I saw, he had a couple catches. It wasn't anything, like, noteworthy. Um, I still think he's behind quite a few other guys, but I do think it was noteworthy that he was getting some of those reps and, and that maybe as the season progresses, mm-hmm. he might be a guy who, who gets, you know, more opportunities. Him and Graham Mertz were working uh, and Chimredika after practice, and I, I, I think that that tells you also that, they're trying to develop a rapport here, get things going, because they do see something in him. Yeah, he, he's certainly a fascinating prospect. Seems like a guy, you know, one of those younger guys that uh, maybe gets his feet wet, um, you know, in practice, and then as he gets developed through the season, could be a guy that comes on strong late, which I, I think would be a welcome sight. Uh, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff for the offense. What did you see uh, from the defense? Because I think there's a ton that we'll take away. We'll touch on some more that you talked about in the with uh, in the depth chart for on the offside of the ball, but. What did you take away from the defense? Who It sounded like they had a strong day as well, but uh, maybe not as flying around and strong in quality as they had the previous Saturday. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, Nick Herbig, they were just kind of um, – he was out there for the first few times where they had the team going, and he made a couple of really nice plays. And then from there, UW did say that they were going to pair back his workload because they wanted to see some of the other guys and just to, you know, just to keep him fresh. Um, with that hand injury. So I think he he looked really good. But, yeah, then you saw a rotation of a bunch of guys. I thought the defense still looked really good. Defensive line, man, they had so much more depth. You, there was times when they took Benton and Henningsen off the field completely to try to get some of the younger guys reps. And I also saw where they had, at one point, they had um, Henningsen, Benton, as well as Bryson Williams together on the line, um, which – I don't think has anything to do with how high they think of Isaiah Mullins, but I do think that that was interesting because, I mean, we both singled out Bryson Williams as a guy that we thought had a really good um, practice last Saturday. So that was something to see that rotation happening was interesting. Isaac Townsend saw the first glimpse of him making a couple plays. He had a would-be sack and then a couple stops. Um, Tate Grass, um was back, which was which was nice to see, and and then John Tortio, man, he keeps just making plays. He had a nice pass breakup uh, in practice, and then special teams. Colin Larsh handled all the field goal kicking and actually looked um, competent. <laughs> he he did a good job, and I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but but Wisconsin has had their struggles in the kicking game. I think Jack Van Dyke still limited with that injury. Larsh went ahead. He he made. Four field goals that I saw, um, you know, short to intermediate attempts, and then narrowly missed a 50-yarder that was just wide right. Um, but it was encouraging to see that he had the leg for it um, because I don't think if you had him trot out for a 50-yarder last year, it was getting there. No, I, w- I would totally agree. I think that was uh, – I was reading through your tweets and some of the write-ups um, for the last um, from that Saturday, and that was the big takeaway for me. It sounded like he handled the kicking duties well because – I think at this point you know that the defense is going to be pretty strong. It's it's maybe paying attention to a little things like some guys getting reps and spots, but overall I think the depth is certainly there for the defense and you feel really good about it. So um, get, getting a strong takeaway from, from the kicking game is probably one that is pressing on a lot of people's minds. So it was nice to see that, at least right now, it, it seems like the ball is, is going through the uprights, which is certainly important to see. So um, any other takeaways that you had? Otherwise we can uh, get into some offensive depth chart uh, projections now that uh, camp is wrapped up. 
not necessarily any other um, you know takes from it, but I would say um, Al Ashford. He enrolled early. He mm-hmm. was a kid that I think did did some nice things in the spring. Um, he when we were there last Saturday, he had an arm injury, arm in a sling. It required surgery, so he's going to miss the year. Um, and, and then Dante Burton was also out, um, and and that's a newer injury. So I, I think that opens up some opportunities for some younger guys, or or in the case of Deron Harrell, an older guy, um, to to possibly get some reps in the secondary room as well. There you have it. Some interesting tidbits. Certainly things to pay attention to as we get closer to football season. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get our ad reads out of the way here quickly. Then we'll get into our offensive depth chart and some over-under and stat predictions for the 2021 offensive side of the football. All right, so we've got camp, you know, quote-unquote, camp open to the media, all but wrapped up. Now they're going to start, of course, prepping for some Penn State play now that that game is, is quickly approaching. So, as of today, we'll run through kind of the depth charts for each position on the offensive side of the ball. We'll do the same thing on the defense side of the ball in our next episode. So starting at the top, I think this one's fairly solidified and easy, but um, quarterback, I would think everybody out there, 99.9% of the world, um, would have Graham Mertz as the starter, Chase, Chase Wolf as the backup. After that, three and four, I, I would assume you'd have Vandy, Danny Vandenboom in the three, and then you've got, to, of course, Deacon Hill working in there as well. Um, but really the top two seem pretty much uh, set in stone. Yeah, that the the four you listed in that exact same order I would totally agree with. I think that's that's ready to roll for Penn State, and I don't think there's any chance that that's going to change barring injury. Let's hope there's – yeah, exactly. Let's hope there's no changes in that one. All right, maybe a little bit more interesting here running back because I think – yeah, right now, it's maybe a, a 1A, 1B kind of situation from what it seems like, and then a solid two. So what would you put um, for your running back depth chart right now? Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting because mm-hmm. we, like on Saturday, when we were there the previous Saturday, it was Jalen Berger was, every time was the number one guy going out there, and then Malusi would also work in with the ones. Um, and then you saw some guys rotate in. On this Saturday, I know Berger was um, still kind of limited because of, a, of an injury earlier in the week, so I think they were taking it easy on him. But he did get carries um, with the first team. I still think Berger is going to be the guy out there um, first snap of the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Malusi either. I think both of them are, have a 50-50 shot at this point. Um, but, but I do think that third in there is Isaac Grendo, and I think all three of those are going to – have a lot of carries like I don't think it's going to be something to where those three one maybe one of those guys differentiates themselves throughout the year but I think that when you look at it Berger and Malusi are very similar backs Garendo's a little bit bigger a little bit faster um, I think Jake Kokorowski um, friend of the pod when it had an interview with Garendo earlier today and he said he nearly topped 24 miles per hour which is flying like <laughs> I mean, you're you're going over the speed limit in some some uh, Madison areas just because of they reduce the speed limits around town. Um, so he's he's going fast and he's a big kid at 225. So I think those three all are going to get carries this year. I'm fascinated to see what happens with Julius Davis and Braylon Allen behind them because I both think both of them are are you know nipping at the heels trying to get in get involved. But I think those top three are going to are going to really carry the load. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It seems like it's going to be Jalen Berger, but it's also going to be a, a very close to committee approach with, with those three, at least early in the season. I know Gary Brown kind of touched on that, that he's going to go with uh, maybe some more guys early and then see if one of them can kind of take it away and, and be the bell cow. But if not, he's happy to go uh, with a you know a committee approach. So I think that'll be an interesting question um, when we get into our next segment of hypotheticals to see where Wisconsin will be in terms of rushing yards. But I agree. I think the running back room is, is it going to be a fascinating one to watch for. All right, we'll move on to fullback now. I think this one's pretty set in stone as well. You've, of course, got uh, John Chenal in there as probably the starter and Quan Easterling as the backup. And then <laughs> we're still not sure who might be that future fullback, but uh, do you have those two pe- you know, kind of set in stone as your one-two? 100%. All right, that's easy enough. Why don't we hop into the receiver room then? Um Interesting here, we've talked a lot about a lot of different guys at the receiver room. I think uh, depending on how you lay it out in terms of starters, you can have a couple different guys, a couple different ways, but how would you set up your uh, receiver room in the depth chart after uh, what we've seen over the last couple weeks? So I, I think the Badgers are going to go six deep um, in terms of the rotation. I think, and now that's assuming Danny Davis is healthy for Penn State and that he's healthy for the whole year, which is a big if right now just based off of the fact that he had a head injury last year, head injury now, that's usually not great. Um, but I think you're, you're looking at Davis, Pryor, DK, mix and match who you want to put as your ones, right? Like I think all three of those guys are basically your ones. The group behind them, I think it's going to be Jack Dunn as your fourth. Um, and then – I think it's A.J. Abbott and Devin Chandler are probably 5-6 in no particular order. But I, like I said, I would not be surprised if Marcus Allen leapfrogs A.J. Abbott at some point this year and gets in games. Um, And and if you take out Danny Davis from that, which I'm not saying that that's going to happen for sure, but if he's not in there, I think that bumps you see Marcus Allen as your number five guy, and that changes things a little bit more. Um, for this offense. So I think Danny Davis is going to be very important. His health is going to be something definitely to watch. But right now, I think it's good. they're going to go six deep. But I wouldn't be surprised if Marcus Allen travels later in the year as the seventh guy. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. You know, depending on how you set it up, you, of course, got Danny Davis, who's, who's more of an outside receiver. You've got Kendrick Pryor, who's you know more of a slot receiver. And they'll use him all over the place. But um, th- I think those two positions kind of differ. And, and Jack Dunn's probably your backup you know, quote-unquote slot guy with with a guy like Kendrick Pryor. But outside, you know, a deep play threat like Danny Davis, um, you, you can't just plug in. You know, if he goes down, you can't just plug in a guy like Jack Dunn um, if there was some sort of injury or anything going on there. So I think a guy like Marcus Allen, who's who's shown his explosiveness, and we've seen it in limited time, you can clearly tell there's athleticism and size there. He might be a guy that, depending on how the – you know, positioning works out that he could be a guy that works in there along with a guy like A.J. Abbott. So overall, I think Chimari D.K. is another guy that's very solidified, could maybe move into that spot. But um, depending on where your receivers are, our position is going to be a fascinating group to watch because they've got a lot of different guys, a lot of different athleticisms, different sizes that uh, complement each other. But when they're all healthy, I think they're deep. But if one guy, you know, gets banged up, it's going to be interesting to see how that rotation might move around. Yeah, I think, I, like I said, Danny Davis is the number one wide receiver in my eyes if healthy. If he's not healthy, I, I, you know, I think there's a little bit, more, a few more moving pieces, and I think it becomes more 
um, needed to have a guy like A.J. Abbott, Marcus Allen, a bigger receiver, which both of them are, um, in that rotation as well because um, Jack Dunn can bring a lot of different things to the offense, um, Devin Chandler as well, but they're both slighter, smaller guys um, in, when com- in comparison to Abbott and Allen. All right, up next, tight end. Of course, you've got a very well-established starter in Jake Ferguson, but Wisconsin likes to go a couple deep. Um, so it really depends on the package here, but a couple different guys are probably in the works. Who do you have for your tight end room right now? Um, I, would, I would definitely say Ferguson's your one. Um, a lot of Jack Eschenbach on Saturday, and really has. there's been a bunch of Jack Eschenbach all camp long. I think the added weight makes it so that he's probably going to be helping out in blocking situations a little bit more as well. So I'm going to go Ferguson, then Eschenbach, or Rucci. I think those three are your top guys. Rucci, more of the blocker type. I, he hasn't, at least I haven't really seen him get involved in the past game, but Eschenbach has shown a willingness to block as well as catch. So I would lean towards Eschenbach as two, but I'm going to say or just because I think they do bring different skill sets and will both play. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. I think uh, you, you can compliment. You got maybe a, a hybrid, can do both, and Eschenbach and Ferguson, and then Rucci, maybe your blocker, and, and all three of them will see significant snaps. All right, this one is, is probably one of the more interesting ones, just given that injuries, there's been a lot of shakeup. There's been some guys that have just flat out beat other guys on the O-line. So uh, right now I know they've ran with different five uh, on both Saturdays, but who do you have is, is penciled in as your five? And I know, of course, there's some injuries in there with Beach and, and Bruss have been banged up a little bit, but um, who do you think's in there as they're running for the top five right now? So top five, and I, and I think that Beach will be ready for – for Penn State, I, I really do. I think he's working back from that. So I would go Beach, Seltzner, Tipman. I think I think he's overtaken uh-huh. Miles at this point. Like we we both saw Tipman um, taking the, the reps with the ones, and then and that has only continued, right? Um, and then Nelson at right guard, Logan Bruss at right tackle. Um, I, I I think if Beach doesn't go, I'm guessing you have. Um, Cormac Sampson at left tackle and less Logan Brown's back, which would be awesome. Um, I think he brings a little something to that left tackle position that Sampson doesn't have in terms of his length and athletic ability. But I, I think those are your top five. Who are your t- top five before we get into that next group wave of uh, linemen? I think I'd have to agree with you right now. I mean, just based off of everything we've seen, that five seems to be the one that, that makes sense. I think you've got you know maybe some moving pieces if I think right now, solidified, it seems like Tipman's the guy at center. You've got Nelson in there at right guard. And then the other the tackles you think are going to be in there, and, and Beach and Bruss are assuming they're good to go. I think that's who you've got in there. Um, and then the, you know, the left guard position has always been one that we've touched on a little bit, but I would say right now that's probably, you know, with Seltzer being the guy, I think that's the group you're, you know, if you had to go out and play a game tomorrow, I think that's the group. And, and maybe – Maybe, you know, from what we've seen in camp, that's the five that I would go with. But maybe, you know, this competition could continue up until, you know, Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris have to make a decision, you know, a couple days before Penn State. So it's going to be interesting. But I think right now those are the five that would start. And and maybe some other guys are going to be pushing, you know, if you, like I said, if you had to play a game tomorrow, that would be the group that I'd be going with. Yeah, and I I think Cormac Sampson's going to be your swing guy. Mm -hmm. um, Where I honestly, I think he would be the backup at, each each position on the left side of the line, and maybe, um, you know, I guess Lyles would be your backup center, but, but either so- position on the left side of the line, I think he would be the guy to put in there, assuming Logan Brown isn't back with his head injury. 
I, I mean, two more weeks, I would think he'd be back. But um, I don't don't count out JP Benchwall. He was getting a lot of reps with the number twos on Saturday, and it'd be interesting to see if he ends up being one of the guys pushing for for one of the spots in the depth chart. Just because I think he he really kind of looked good when he was out there. What I saw, um, but then Trey Wedig, Michael Furtney, a couple other guys in that you know that second wave of linemen that would possibly get reps if if need be. Uh, if somebody went down, which hopefully doesn't happen. Yeah, I think the offensive line will be the place that I'm looking for. And when we get that first depth chart, that'll be the number one spot that I think a lot of us will be looking at because it's going to be fascinating to see how that group finishes out. A lot of quality players there, a lot of competition, which should uh, make an interesting starting five after this fall camp. All right, real quick, we'll touch on punter and punt returner. I think it's pretty solid that Andy Vujnovich is your punter, but punt return is, is maybe something that's up for discussion. So who do you have right now uh, as your punt returner? I think at least what they did on Saturday, and, and this kind of mirrors what they've done the past couple of years, is they've been putting two guys back there. So I think it'll be Dean Ingram and Jack Dunn, both both returning um, punts where whichever one's get closer to it's going to grab it, the other guy's going to end up going and blocking for them. So um, as an up man. So I think those two are, are who I would um, pencil in. If you just go with one guy, I would guess it would be Ingram. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. If, if you're going with that setup, both of them have a little bit of experience back there. Of course, Jack Dunn uh, has been there quite a while, and, and hopefully they can get a little bit more out of that spot. But we'll see who's back returning punts uh, in just a couple weeks here. All right, I think we've ran through everything offensively in terms of depth charts, so why don't we get into some stat predictions because I think this will be a fun conversation to get to. Um, we'll start with the quarterback room because I think uh, this one is, is an interesting conversation because when I look at quarterback you know, and, and quality, completion percentage is one of the first stats I look at. So I, when we're talking Graham Mertz, I went ahead and looked at 64% because last year he was 61%. Um, I think 61.1. Uh, of course, Jack Cohn in his final year was right around that 69% mark. So overall, nice. I, I, exactly, exactly. Uh, I think I think that threshold of 64% is is right around where you at least want to be. I think if you're under 60%, you're you're really not. A, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The the guy that was just under 60% was Bo Nix. So I think that gives you all the information you need to know in college football of where you're at in terms of completion percentage and, and if you're a good player or if you're just maybe an okay quarterback. So um, given that threshold, where do you think Merch will be? You know, 64, maybe an over-under in that mark. I think just over. I think about mm-hmm. 65% is, a, is about the, the perfect spot. For, I'd love it to be way higher, obviously, and, and I think that that's definitely um, a possibility, but I do think that you're going to see – a more poised um, Graham Mertz, and I just think that they're going to have weapons, assuming people can stay healthy, which is a big if, but if people can stay healthy, it makes it so he's not having to throw into super tight windows to to Jake Ferguson um, and, um, you know, 5'7", Jack Dunn and um, Chimre DK, who just just graduated high school, right? Like, they're going to have more weapons here, and I think so I think that percentage is going to go up. Yeah, I, I would you I would think you'd want to be you know when you look at college football sixty four percent that's that threshold sixty four point six is is a top twenty five quarterback in terms of completion percentage I would think right around there is is where Graham Mertz could be I'd love to be in that you know sixty seven sixty I mean 
Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler were two guys recruited around him. Those guys were 67 and 68% last year. So if you could push that threshold, great. I mean, I don't expect them to be the the Mac Jones 77% threshold um, of where he was at last year. But I think if you were taking that, you know, I'd, I'd love, I would expect the over and I would hope the over and hopefully, um, you know, pushing a couple percent behind or above that would be a, a very welcome sight. All right, next one for Mertz. We'll hit on that real quick. This one's an interesting one. I put over under of 200 yards per per game, and it's it depends. You know, I, I took the number based on the final season of Jack Cohn. He was right around 192 yards per game in the regular season. Some games, you know, he had 360 yards against Central Michigan. Some games he had 108 yards. So you can see that average. Um, you know, for the regular season, he had about 2,200 in terms of total passing yards. So where would you put Mertz in terms of an over-under for either one? You can kind of pick uh, where you want to take this one. I think based off of necessity, it's Mm going to be over that. I wouldn't say that it's going to be – I don't think he's going to all of a sudden throw for 250 or even 230. Um, But I think it's going to be just over that 200-yard mark because you look at the number of attempts he was asked to throw last year, and while I don't think he's going to be asked to throw that much, I do think that you're going to see them being uh, have a willingness to throw the ball because they have some wide receivers to throw to and because I don't necessarily know if our if the running game is going to be at a point where you're just going to be able to bully ball people down the field. I just don't think that that's going to be the case. So I do think that the average is going to be over 200, but I think that that's more of um, having to do with the running game not being what it was in 2019 where Jack Cohn could just hand the ball to JT and and expect to get five yards of crack. Um, but instead, he's going to be called upon to, to hit some more third downs, maybe be asked to throw the ball down the field a little bit more, something that Jack Cohn, um, you know, that Jack Cohn, great quarterback for the Badgers, did some really nice things, but pushing the ball down the field wasn't his forte. So I think that would be my the one the two things that would lead me to think that it might be just over that. And when you think of what um, he did last year, he was at 177 yards a game, and, and that was a gross offense. So I would think exactly. if they can, yep. they can add 25 yards to that easily. Yep, that was that was exactly what I was thinking and, and was going to say is right around that mark when you look at and think about last year's offense to be at there already you would hope just by cleaning a variety of things up getting some of these guys back healthy Merch being a little bit more healthy and the run game hopefully taking another a little bit of step forward I don't think they'll be back to those numbers that we've seen in previous years that an average of 200 would be certainly something you need. And maybe some games, the run game's clicking on all cylinders and they can just turn and hand it off and, and they're working well. But I think on average, uh, 200, just over that, would be a welcome sight. And, and you hope for more, but I think right now that would be uh, something that the Wisconsin would, would certainly sign up for. And um, I would expect to be over that threshold because the, the I think more of the offense is going to flow through that arm of Graham Mertz than we've seen maybe in years past. All right, going on to the running back room. This one's an interesting one because we just talked about the almost maybe a committee approach, at least maybe early in the season. So I, I wanted to put, will Wisconsin have a 1,000-yard rusher? And I think on the surface you think, of course, why why wouldn't Wisconsin have that? But you know, the last time they didn't was, I believe, 2015. Daria Ogumawale and Taiwan Deal, those guys were just, I believe Daria was just under 1,000. Uh, so 
it's been a, a few years, and of course, Wisconsin generally normally has guys that are 1,000, you know, 1,500, 2,000, and JT just uh, going insane. But what do you think would you think Wisconsin's going to have that 1,000 yard rusher, or is it going to be a committee approach where guys maybe in that 800 range, a guy in that 500 range, and, and maybe another guy cleaning that up? I think they're going to have a guy over 1,000. I I do. Um, I think somebody's going to to rise to the top. Gary Brown, when, when I had a chance to talk to him, um, he he mentioned in the interview saying that he likes to ride the hot hand, that if somebody's running well, he's going to give him the ball, and he's going to give them the ball as much as he can. Um, so that leads me to think that they're going to start off with a kind of uh, an approach of, you know, committee wanting one of those three guys to emerge. But eventually, one of those guys is going to have to, sh- to flash. I just don't see it as something, unless there's an injury, um, I, I think there's going to be somebody who's going to, you know, and it might not be it might not be way over a thousand, but it might be just over a thousand yards, and there might be another guy who's right right on his heels with six hundred, for example. But I do think that there's going to be a guy who who steps up, and and I don't know which three which of the three it's going to be, to be perfectly honest, because I think if you're you're looking at just their size, Isaac Rendell might be the guy who could actually carry the ball the most, um, just based off of his size and speed. But I think somebody will emerge. And um, and they'll get over a thousand. I would agree with you. I think if you were if this was a bet you could place, I think it's a bet you'd probably sweat for a little bit uh, when you're seeing the numbers. I think they'd be a number that they would maybe just get over unless one of these guys really takes it off. But right now, it seems like it's it's going to be close to that number uh, just just based on the fact that you could have three guys getting a lot of carries and and who knows maybe one of them will take it over, but even early in the season, if, if you have a, you know, a three-headed approach, that can certainly change the way um, you know, the, the stats work out that way. And if you have to throw the ball a little bit more, that's less carries that well, you're going to have to divvy up in the running back room. So I would say, yes, they will have one, um, but I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know who, but I do think one of them will eclipse that mark uh, just barely. So that brings it to the next question because I think kind of goes off of that. Jalen Berger, over under 20 carries per game because you saw last year, they said he was, of course, not on a carry count, but he averaged 15 or got 15 in every game he played. Um, you know, we think that Jonathan Taylor, his average was right around, you know, 21 one year, 22 one year, and 23 one year. So I don't expect him to maybe get to that 23, 24, 25 range, but where do you think he would be in terms of over under 20 carries per game? I'm going to go under. Um, just because I think when you look at the fact that they're going to be doing a rotation, right, like, I look back to the Badgers hopefully playing 14 games, um, 15 games, somewhere in that range, um, similar to what they had in, in 2019 where they played in 14 games. Jonathan Taylor, between him and, and Watson and Groshek, that was 450 carries about that were, that were you know, are up for grabs. So you're looking at, you split that between three guys, 150 carries apiece. You divide that by your, your 14, and you're looking at – closer to 10, right, like, you know, 10, 12 here. So I'm thinking that it'll be less than that, but but I do think that Berger is going to have a chance to have a couple games where he does go over that 20 mark. Um, but, I, but I do just think, based off of numbers-wise, I don't think that one of these guys is, is going to display the ability to be a, a 30, get those games where he carries it 30 times, but instead 
Berger might get 22 one game. Malusi might get 21 one game, right? Like they're just based off of hot hands. Um, and I know that kind of goes against the 1,000-yard rusher, but I just – you look at it because they're playing 14 games potentially, you look at – you don't really need to have 20 carries per game to get to 1,000 that way. No, exactly. And I think part of it is, you know, if you go with that committee approach early, you, you want Jalen Berger, we talk, we've talked about it a couple times, still hasn't maybe taken on a, a full workload of a full season in the Big Ten slate. Maybe you try to work him – um, around that that 15 carry mark early and get some of these other guys reps because I think you've got two other quality backs that you want to see to see what you've got and and also um, you know keep them all fresh. So I would say slightly under that as well. Um, you know, 15 going from 15 to 20 over a full game season would be a, a lot of, of carries on his plate. And I think the other guys in the room uh, are at least right now looking like they're going to get a good amount of carries and, and deservedly so. So I would say just slightly under as well. All right, how about an interesting one here? Receptions for John Chennault. You know, the fullback is still a, a big part of the Wisconsin offense, and John Chennault will certainly be a part of it. He, he's certainly a guy that has the athleticism to catch balls out of the backfield, gives Wisconsin a nice little wrinkle. So where would you put uh, his number in terms of catches for the year? I counted two John Chennault catches on Saturday. So, well, I'm not going to go ahead and say he's going to catch two a game. Um I will say that he's going to catch five um, this year, and, and I think that he's going to have one or two of those end up being a touchdown. I like that. I think, yeah, anywhere that five to seven, I mean, you're going to pull out maybe a fullback wrinkle. Uh, at least, you know, maybe once every couple games, you're not going to use it every time. You know, if they're throwing to him, you know, more than that, it, it might be a cause for concern. So I think anywhere in that low that five to seven low digits is probably a, a good spot to be because that means the other parts of the offense are hopefully clicking well and you just have to use that maybe fullback wrinkle uh, when you need it. <laughs> Speaking of receptions, why don't we move on to the wide receiver room there. Um, let's go ahead. Who do you think will lead in receptions and maybe who do you think will lead in yards? Because I think it's a very different conversation depending on when you add in that you've got you know, a really high-quality tight end in Jake Ferguson. Yeah, I, I honestly think that Ferguson is going to lead in receptions. Um, I, I think that – I don't even have a question about that. Assuming he, he stays healthy, I think that's for sure he's going to be the guy. Um, unless, unless Danny Davis is fully healthy, maybe maybe he'd be a guy that could um, get them to the point where he's able to do that. Um, I, I think Shimmer DK is a dark horse there as well. Um, if – if we have a healthy Danny Davis, I will say that um, that he leads them in receptions. Um, actually, I'll go Ferguson. I got him to stick with Ferguson for receptions. But yards, I, I think that um, Danny, a healthy Danny Davis gets there um, a little bit over Jake Ferguson. But I think it's going to be close between those two or whoever the number one wide receiver is because I think Ferguson brings um, so much to that receiving room. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I'd go with Ferguson for receptions for sure. I think that safety blanket of him is, is certainly going to be there and will will maybe be used a little bit more this year. In terms of yards, that's probably the more interesting debate because you've got a lot of guys. You've seen that Graham Mertz clearly has a connection with Trimray DK, so maybe how things work out, that that's a possibility. I know he's looked really good with Kendrick Pryor, but he's more of a guy that you're throwing it to him on the outside, not stretching the field, so... And then you've got Danny Davis and Jake Ferguson, who could both be in that contention as well. So 
I'd, I'd agree right now just because of his ability to really stretch the field and pick up chunk plays that Danny Davis would be the guy. But I wouldn't be surprised to, to see somebody else chasing him in, in yards. I think that would be a, an interesting um, stat line to kind of watch throughout the season. So, yeah, I mean, take, in, Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, and Danny's been more of a possession guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that part of, part of that was just because of his role as the number two wide receiver behind Cephas. But if, if Danny Davis doesn't go, I, I would – it would cre- increase the chances to me that Jake Ferguson is your receptions leader and maybe yards. But but I do think that if he doesn't go, I think Tim Radike ends up being your re- wide receiver with the most receptions and yards. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's, that's the fascinating hypothetical is where Danny Davis is at and, and what he's going to have um, on the field to give them. All right, speaking of Jake Ferguson – do you think he'll set a new career yard record for himself? He had 426 in 2018. Yes. Last year in seven games he had 300. Uh, you just simple math. You just extrapolate that out to 14 games, and and he um, he he gets there. So I'm I'm gonna say yes. I just think that um, he he is maybe their best offensive weapon, and and I think they're gonna have to use him frequently and figure out ways to get the ball in his hands uh, against some of these defenses and be a mismatch problem. I would agree. I think of the hypotheticals that we've done, if you had to lock in a, a bet that you were maybe most confident in, I would think Jake Ferguson setting a career yard mark for himself would be um, up there as probably the favorite bet to, to, to make because I think he's due for a big year. And the numbers he put up last year in a, in a tough offense should hopefully thrive a lot more uh, in 2021 with hopefully some stuff cleaned up. All right, a funny one on the offensive line. How many personal fouls does Jack Nelson draw from defenders this year? We've heard this kid is he's scrappy. He's been in a lot of scraps of practice. I'm sure he's going to be you know mouthing off and, and trying to bring some of that nastiness uh, to opposing defenders. So how many uh, flags do you think he'll draw from defenders this year? Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're looking at this not on, as uh, how many will he get on his own as well. Um, but I do think I do think that he is going to get some um, defensive lineman frustrated just because he does go past the whistle a little bit, and and he does have a nastiness about the way he plays, and and he goes hard like there's no you know plays off for him. So I do think that there's going to be some. I would guess that over the course of the year, probably three times that. There's somebody out there who pops him in the face, gets frustrated, and, and makes a stupid decision that ends up with a penalty on the defense because of him just going a little bit hard, maybe a little past the whistle. Yeah, you need guys like that with a little extra nastiness, maybe push the envelope a little bit, and he's certainly that guy. So I think uh, it'll certainly draw a couple. And you know, I would, I know Paul Chris likes to preach discipline, and, and generally for the most part, uh, Wisconsin doesn't get a ton of those flags, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe draws a couple himself just because that's the way he plays. And you can try and talk that down so much, but when you have that level of, of, of physicality, there, there's going to be times where maybe you get a couple drawn on either himself. It would be interesting to see how that maybe offsets versus how many he gets versus how many he draws. So, All right, to round it out, we'll ask one more question here. Which non-quarterback will lead the team in touchdowns at year's end? Because I think this one's a fascinating one. A lot of different guys that could be in there depending on which way you slice it. So who do you have as the, as the guy that would lead in touchdowns at year's end? Well, first, who are you thinking for this one? Because I, I, I'm having a hard time with this one because I think it, there's so much up in the air in the receiving room 
with Danny Davis's help, and there's so much up in the air in the rush, running back room that it makes it hard to to really put your money down on a guy. Yeah, I, I, this would be one that I, I wouldn't be throwing down if this was something you could bet. I wouldn't probably – I'd probably be staying away from it. I think by default right now I would have to go with Jalen Berger just because I think you're you're going to be – you're hopefully running the ball quite a bit. Maybe you get in those situations where you're handing it off close to the goal line if he's that guy, but you don't know for sure. So I'd, I'd say him to start, but, but really last year you look at the numbers, and of course last year was a weird year. It was Jake Ferguson with four, but who knows if that's going to stick around. You hope the running game is, is quite a bit better. So I'd say Jalen Berger slightly, but I, I wouldn't say it with a ton of confidence at least right now. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing is I think it comes down to whichever running back is going to be mm-hmm. your your good guy down near the goal line. And you look at the size, I honestly think it could be Isaac Garendo mm-hmm. um, just based off of size. So I, I want to say that it would be Berger because I do think that he might emerge as the top running back. I think if you're you're a betting man, you're, you're going to say that Berger's probably the leader in the clubhouse, the guy that you have the most faith in to be the number one guy. Um, Isaac Rendo, I just we've been burned by the the hamstring injury before, so hopefully that doesn't pop up. But I think that he's he's another guy that could that could be in in the conversation. But really, I do think that it's probably either Berger or Malusi, whichever one of them is your your number one guy. Uh, based off of what we've seen, probably Berger. But but I do think that there is a lot of different guys that could make this. Um, challenging and, and really close, including Ferguson, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But, uh, we'll hopefully be able to kind of go back and, and revisit some of these over-unders and see which one of them's actually hit and, and which ones did not. So football is, is getting closer and closer. We'll be able to see some of these guys out on the field here soon. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. We'll be back with a similar style of episode later in the week with the defensive side of the football. As always, thank you for listening on Wisconsin. Yeah.